you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Denny O'Neill, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Iron Man, Episode 11, Duel of Iron. And I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm your Iron Man co-host, James Salerno. And in this episode, we are going to be talking about the contents of the Iron Man Epic Collection, Volume 11, Duel of Iron. And this covers Iron Man from 1983 to 1985. James, what can we find inside this volume? Uh, This contains Iron Man number 178 to 195. And then Iron Man Annuals 6 and 7. And if you are just joining us, you may want to backtrack and listen to the very first episode of the Epic Marvel podcast that we ever recorded because it's actually the, the, the episode that comes before this volume here. It's called Enemy Within, covering volume uh, 10 of the Epic Collection. Um, and that was, a, that was one year ago because that was January of last year when we started this podcast. Yeah, that was actually the very first episode that we did. So definitely uh, go check that out. If you haven't checked it out yet, it's uh, still up for download. And uh, we don't get too many uh, sequential uh, epic collections, period. So we're getting the chance to do a sequential podcast. So this should be this should be fun. Yeah, especially because we're so familiar with the material that came directly before this. This is Denny O'Neill's run, uh, the continuation of that, the second volume of him and, and Luke O'Donnell. Uh, and uh, dealing with kind of Obadiah Stane. But, you know, what do we need to know if they're, if people are not going to listen to the previous episode? What do you need to know about this book before you jump into it? Well, you'd be surprised to find out that Tony Stark is not Iron Man in these issues. Um, he actually had a relapse with alcoholism in the previous volume, and it caused him to give up the armor. And his best friend and his pilot, Jim Rhodes, actually uh, takes up the armor, and that's where we start here. Um, Tony is pretty much completely down on his luck. He's in really bad shape. He's homeless. Uh, his company has been taken over by Obadiah Stane, and things are just not good for Tony Stark. And I think the other thing you need to know is that um, Jim has Jim Rhodes has found some new friends, Morley and Cly, and their brother and sister, and they are uh, scientists. And so they are trying to raise money for a startup. And Rhodes ha- is kind of hiring himself out in order to help raise money for this startup. And that's where we, we come into the book here. Yeah, this is a supporting cast that's pretty unique to just this particular era of Iron Man. And yeah, you'll see, uh, you'll see a lot of those two in these issues. So we have a Twitter poll, and the Twitter poll we asked, who is your favorite C-list villain from this, uh, from this epic collection? And your options were Termite, Vibro, Zodiac Cartel, and uh, the Brothers Grimm. And James, what's your pick for this one? 
I actually really kind of like the termite for reasons we will get into once we get to those issues. Okay, good. I'm going to pick Vibro. He is uh, actually a pretty cool villain with a terrible name, um, but he's got some cool powers and uses them quite effectively. So uh, I'm going to pick Vibro. So here are the results. Tied for bottom place with 17%, the termite and brothers Grimm. And tied for first place with 33%, both of these guys, Vibro and the Zodiac Cartel, took top spot. So there you have it. And you can head over to at Epic Marvel Pod to see if we have any other Twitter polls that you can vote for. Go check it out. Okay, so uh, up first here we have Iron Man Annual number six in dreams what death may come from 1983 and uh this is actually a very rare uh iron man issue from this era that's not written by denny o'neill it's written by peter gillis Mm -hmm. and uh gillis actually had a pretty decent run on defenders at this time i don't know if you've ever read that curtis i haven't but i will eventually yeah it's actually it's it's in one of the existing epic collections and uh yeah it's it's not talked about a lot but i I enjoyed it a lot at the time. And uh, this is guest starring the Eternals. Eternals, for me, like, it's kind of just, it's one of those concepts where, like, you mention it, and I kind of automatically lose interest in the storyline. Like, you got to kind of <laughs> push me uphill. Along with, like, uh, Subterraneans in 2099, it kind of falls under that category for me. But <laughs> this yeah, wasn't, yeah. this wasn't, I kind of think they're just, like the whole draw behind the Eternals is like the the Jack Kirby stuff. You know, you just you kind of want to just see Jack Kirby doing his thing. So when you take Jack Kirby away from the Eternals, like there's kind of not much to them as characters. So I kind of I feel like a lot of writers struggle to figure out like what to do with them, and they're like extremely powerful. So you know, it's kind of hard to write storylines where they're in jeopardy. So I don't know, not not right. one of my favorite concepts. Well, and. And that uh, really shows itself because Iron Man has a very, very small role in this annual. He doesn't actually do much because they're the Eternals. They yeah. they don't need the help of a puny human, right? <laughs> yeah, so, and he's actually literally pulled into this story, like literally, like a tractor yes. beam pulls him into this story. It's interesting to note that Peter Gillis goes on to write an Eternals miniseries in, in 1985. So this is yeah. kind of like a little pilot. Definitely, yeah. But there's lots of Kirby-esque um, references and just kind of homages in this in this issue. A lot of the buildings and, of course, the characters and stuff. Um, it's drawn by Luke O'Donnell, but he does a lot of uh, his best Kirby impressions throughout the book while re- retaining his own style. So uh, give him some props for that. Yeah, and, and we talked about this last volume, how Luke McDonald, like, not not immediately the most flashy of artists but doing an annual and doing the monthly series with without hardly missing a beat there's a couple exceptions but i mean that's that's pretty impressive you really don't see that from many artists at all and uh yeah that's also i think a testament to uh the jim shooter era of marvel we're pretty deep into the shooter regime right now and i know that he's a he's a very controversial figure to say the least but i mean he one of his biggest, uh, the biggest obstacles when he first took over was, you know, let's get these books running on time. Let's get reliable artists on everything. And 
you know, he, he definitely had a lot of very solid, steady, creative teams on his books. And it's definitely one of my, one of my favorite eras from Marvel from a creative standpoint. Yeah, a lot of people give Jim Shooter a lot of flack for for that and kind of, that kind of thing, canceling a lot of stuff. And um, but yeah, he he whipped people into shape. And this <laughs> this is uh this whole book. I think there's maybe one issue that's not Luke O'Donnell, uh, Luke McDonald. I mean, um, yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah, just one. And yeah, that's I mean with annuals too, because annuals were they were I think are they sixty pages at this point in time. I think so, yeah. Give, give or take, yeah. So, I mean, that's not, not a lot of artists can do oh, that. Oh, this so. one was, uh, let me see here. This one was 40 pages. Still, that's that's two basic yeah. regular issues. Well, and the issue that Don Perlin does later on um, doubles up with the annual. So, uh, I guess maybe Luke didn't want to or couldn't handle both of them at that point. Yeah, so, yeah and you can't hold that against him. I mean, no, not at all. <laughs> that's, still, <laughs> that's still very impressive. Yeah. But um, what do you think of uh, of the actual story here? I know you kind of mentioned that, kind of felt dropped into his own book. Yeah, um, I I felt like this is a, you know, there's no good place to put this annual. Um, it happens out of continuity. There's no real ties to the actual overall story that's going on, unlike the other annual in this book. Um, so I guess it's okay to start off the volume with this. But it's really not a great start to the to the book. Um, yeah, it's a fairly boring story, I guess, <laughs> involving characters yeah, like, like you said that I don't care about. Yeah, and he's just he's he's reduced to a guest star in his own comic. Yeah, he's barely involved in the outcome of uh, the. He kind of rescues the Eternals from the Deviants. They're like this ancient, you know, warring feud that's been going on since the beginning of time, and et cetera, et cetera. And then they kind of just, you know, they celebrate at the end. And that's, I I don't really have too much else to say about this. Well, then let's not waste time. Let's move on to the more main meat of the story. Um, Iron Man number 178. It's called Once an Avenger, Always an Avenger. Um, And so this issue, uh, the first thing you notice when you you flip to to the front cover is that it's Assistant Editor's Month. And yes. this is this is something that I wish Marvel still did, um, because they don't do this anymore. Marvel, I feel like, doesn't have a sense of humor about themselves anymore. They have funny books, but you don't get that the sense of like the bullpen having fun anymore <laughs> in Marvel right. comics, like, or even like um, they they've tried uh, gimmick months like later on. Like I remember one of the big ones was um. They did the flashback month in 97 where everything was basically set back to the Silver Age for one month. Yeah. And they did uh, they did the all-silent month. Oh, like yeah. I remember that. one or two or something like that. And that one I remember people not really liking as much because it kind of interrupted a lot of storylines. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It, it, it is kind of fun just to just goof off for a month. And yeah. That's kind of that's what they did here. Um, basically, all the all the quote unquote real editors were away at the San Diego comic con. So the inmates are running the asylum, the assistant editors and um, <laughs> a lot of the comics they did, uh, they did comedy, but um, they weren't all comedy though. Like there a lot of them just kind of basically just did stuff that was, you know, off kilter. Like um, the Avengers issue was famous for featuring David Letterman. And then uh, the yes. Spider-Man, 
issue was um, not actually a humorous issue at all. It was actually very serious with uh, the kid who collects Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Kind of, kind of uh, tugs at your heartstring sort right. of story. So they weren't all comedy, but yeah, they, they were definitely different from what you'd, you'd usually get from the main from the main books. Yep. Well, and this one is also not written by Danny O'Neill because he was ed- an editor at the time as well, so he was away also. Um, so it was written by Bob Harris. Yeah, a very, very early assignment for Bob Harris. And whatever happened to that guy? <laughs> yeah. Well, I wonder. So, yeah, he uh, he pairs with Luke McDonnell, who this is not one of Luke's strongest issues. Um, it takes, I think, that there's a certain type of person who can draw kids realistically yes. in comics. And I don't think that Luke is one of them. He tries his best, but a lot of the times they end up looking like midget adults. Um, they just don't move quite the way that we're used to seeing children move uh, or stand. It just doesn't come off very well. And um, this is his regular anchor as well, Steve Mitchell. But the whole thing just looks kind of rushed. Um, a lot, yeah. Not a lot of detail in the backgrounds. And um, they, they skimp on the a lot of the, the shading and and uh spot blacks and that kind of stuff so um not not the best again so we 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 start off this volume with an annual that's so so and a a first issue that's kind of mediocre so it's too bad they can you can kind of forgive it because i mean it's these issues aren't even pretending to be part of like the main story so i mean if you wanted to you could skip them but uh this one too i I thought it was kind of like um like it, it's sort of like a take on the old art gang like episodes, but like there's these kids that are like pretending to be the Avengers. Yeah. They kick out Iron Man because the real Iron Man gets kicked out. Yeah, it's and... it's actually kind of a fun story if you do read it. Um, it's uh, um, it's just the art that I had the issue with because later on when like he gets so good at the last few issues, especially of this book, Luke McDonald. Um, but uh, this one. Blackie Donovan is the main character in this one. He's a kid who frames the kid Iron Man and uh, smears the kid's name, or uh, smears the the kid Avenger's name um, by posing as kid Iron Man and doing bad things like stealing candy from children and that kind of stuff, popping balloons and turning over water, uh, swimming pools. Um, And, uh, and so the 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 real kid iron man needs to kind of reclaim his name and get back into the avengers yeah and i had to uh i had to double check to make sure that stanley wasn't writing this since the the villain's name was blackie <laughs> yeah and stanley stanley literally has like 70 like creations from the silver age where their name is blackie so i don't know if this is like <laughs> an offense to that or what i don't know i thought too that like like you can get away with these kind of stories. Like I like the idea behind it and stuff, but I just, I don't think that Bob Harris is that good at writing humor and like it, it's acting like it's way, way funnier than it really is. Like there, there's one line in here where um they're parodying Tony's drinking problem. Oh, right. And you know, the kid iron, Man said, <laughs> maybe, you know, gee shucks, maybe I've just been drinking too much soda. You know, all that sugar. <laughs> can... <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah. 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 Luckily it's only half the issue. Uh, and the other half of the issue, other than a one-page comedy routine from Mike Mike Carlin, uh, which he draws and writes himself, um, the second half is called The Struggle. And this one has more to do with the overall story. 
Uh, this one's written by Denny O'Neill, drawn by Luke McDonald, and it is about um, the police offer a bet. They they have a fifty dollar bet that Tony, who they don't believe is Tony Stark, um, can't stay sober for twenty four hours. Right, and, and I think it's uh, fifty dollars or something, right? That yeah, they bet. That's right. Yeah, fifty bucks. Yeah, he's he struggles pretty hard, but he he eventually he eventually makes it, and they kind of they find out that the cop's dad was an alcoholic, so it's kind of yeah. it's close to. Yeah, exactly. And then this is the also the first appearance of Gretel, one of the characters who plays a big role in Tony's street life in the next few issues. Yeah, he's a. Uh... He's completely at rock bottom here. I don't know if we mentioned this before, but he's he's homeless. He has access to none of his funds. He's got a beard, like a full beard. He's been wearing the same suit for like, you know, three weeks straight. So he is not in good shape. Yeah. And so when, yeah, when he goes to the police, like they don't even believe that he's Tony Stark because how could Tony Stark be where he is? Right, but uh, his actually he goes to his friends too, and I know we talked about one of his uh, employees, Vic Martinelli. He's uh, Tony's a little disappointed in him because he's still working for the company that Stain took over. However, one of his other employees, Miss Arbogast, she actually quit, and that's kind of it's almost like a wake up call for Tony that like you know my problems are not just you know it's not just affecting me; it's bringing my friends down too. Yeah. Because these are these are their livelihoods. My company, you know, puts food on their table, and he he kind of has like a like a come to Jesus moment here, where he finally realizes he has a problem. Um, I think this is a good place to put a little clip from Denny O'Neill. I got to talk with him uh, about Iron Man during this era, and uh, we didn't get to play any clips in the last episode because it was our first episode, and I hadn't established any any relationships with any of these creators at that point. Um, so I'm going to play a little clip about him do, and talking about Tony's alcoholism. So then about six months or so into that run, I decided I wanted to do a story about Tony's alcoholism. I did not establish that. Dave McElhaney did. But right. I thought the... The the story, well, I, I've had a little experience with alcoholism here and there. And my only problem with Dave's stuff, and I cannot emphasize enough that I, I respect what he did, and I respect him as a writer. But I thought uh, people might get the impression, and I think one of our bosses did want it to go this way, that... To get past this addiction thing, all you gotta do is slap yourself in the face. Ah, gotta, gotta go do stuff now, and it would—it's that quick and easy to get rid of a a well-rooted addiction. Well, I I had reason to believe that was not the case. Right. Also, that in itself was not decisive. Uh, you always have to ask, am I going to get a good story out of this? Uh, we are not in the business of proselytizing against addictions or Republican presidents or, or anybody. We're in the the business of telling stories. And that's always got to be job one. Well, 
I mean, there's a, was obviously a lot of places we could go with a, a terribly flawed hero uh, who, like most drunks, does not, for a long time, does not admit it's a, it's a real problem. And then in every alcoholic's life, there's either that moment where you realize, oh, my God, yeah. My life is ruined, and I ruined it. And start back up into the sunlight, or you die. Right. Or you go to a hospital for the rest of your life. Uh, it's that uh, stupid macho thing of all you have to do is, you know, suck it up, man up, and then you can get past any of this stuff. I guess alcohol uh, addiction is for sissies or girls. <laughs> okay, and then uh, up next we have Iron Man number 179, Mission into Darkness. And this issue follows Tony's descent a little bit more. We learn more about Gretel. And, uh, yeah, he's really hitting rock bottom because he's actually drinking uh, Thunderbird. <laughs> and that is, like, the worst of the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and they call it out by name too which i was kind of you know how usually like in a in these fictional universes they're like fake products like mcdonald's spelled like a well probably spelled like luke mcdonald's the artist's yeah last name <laughs> but yeah it's like an actual product in the iron man comic um in the other story here uh we have roadie he's called to hong kong for a job because he's like we mentioned before, he's doing jobs for hire. Um, there's a shipment of radioactive film stock, this, and and the guys like it's, the whole film stock is ruined. So the guys hired Iron Man to find out what's going on, and he finds out that Radioactive Man is behind. And we're not talking about Homer Simpson, Radioactive Man. We're talking <laughs> about the actual Radioactive Man from the '60s, the old tales of suspense days. Yeah, he's actually uh, he's a he's a bit of a heavyweight. Um, I know Rhodey kind of was getting his feet wet against some lesser villains like in the previous volume, but I mean, Radioactive Man, he's fought Thor to a standstill. So yeah, this uh, this this could be a test. And I actually I kind of like this uh, this period here where Rhodey he's got the armor, but like he kind of just he doesn't really have a purpose for it yet. So he's just kind of taken on almost like mercenary bodyguard type work. So kind of wish that lasted a little bit longer because i think you can get some cool stories out of that yeah and it just shows what a different concept uh jim has when he puts on the armor he's not as um altruistic as 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 tony is and he's willing to hire himself out to use his power for money rather than just to benefit mankind right uh the colorist for this issue is Roy G. Biv. And anyone who's gone to school knows that Roy G. Biv is how you remember the order of the colors of the rainbow. Uh, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Uh, uh, so sorry. it's not a I real name. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who colored this, but they didn't want to be identified for some reason. Somebody may be moonlighting or, or what. Uh, and somebody out there may know the answer to that question, and you can let us know right on Facebook or something. Send me an email. Yeah. Possibly it could just be like a, like a last minute rush job too. So they got like, you know, four few, or five. Yep. That could there. be like the, uh, the old many hands that used to ink. Yeah. 
another thing um, on this one too, because this is actually going to be like a long running subplot throughout these, uh, all of these issues. When Rhodey has the armor on, he's getting some really bad headaches. And I think this is the first time that we, that we see that. So that's, that's going to come into play. Oh yeah. And the other thing that starts coming into play here is that we find out that Gretel is pregnant. Um, and so that plays heavy into oncoming storylines as well. Yep. So next up is Iron Man number 180. And it is called the Ancient, the This Ancient Enemy. And uh, who could that be? Well, it's, it's Mandarin, of course. And the last time we saw Mandarin was in annual number five. And this would have been over a year ago. And he's yes, back and in now. that annual. Yep. He, uh that annual too, he didn't end. He, he actually didn't end up meeting Iron Man either. Um, I believe he was just behind the scenes. So this will be the the first on panel interaction between Mandarin and the new Iron Man. Yeah, and so in this one, Mandarin lures Iron Man to his secret hideout and tries to kill him. That's basically all that happens here. Um, but that's kind of all you really need for this issue because um, because Rhodey is up against mandarin for the first time but mandarin thinks that he's up against iron man for the billionth time so it's an interesting dynamic there another uh interesting dynamic is uh the relationship between the mandarin and the radioactive man because the mandarin just kind of uh he kind of just like whips him around and like you know talks down to him and beats him uh for his failures or whatever and i I also found it kind of cool that um the man or uh, the radioactive man's radiate radiation blah, excuse me can't talk radiation what <laughs> was um it was kind of just incidentally affecting the film like he was actually there on other business <laughs> right. for the man yeah it wasn't so that actually was, part of the story yeah yeah so he kind of he kind of just lucks into this situation uh, with the mandarin and uh the mandarin uh his background is that he's like he believes that he's destined to rule the world and it's actually in humanity's best interest for him to be doing this kind of like a dr doom and uh to do this he's going to actually like destroy all of china's crops which will incite world war three and then somehow that will lead to world peace and everyone you know falling under the mandarin's rule yeah <laughs> it's wonderful it's a it's a very comic booky plot oh absolutely but it's really good yeah um uh, there's a really neat narrative uh, technique that Denny O'Neill does in this issue. Um, almost every scene ends in dialogue in a sentence, a half of a sentence, and then is picked up by a different character to finish the sentence in the next scene. Uh, and they do it over, he does it over and over again. And it's just unique to this issue. It, it's not that he does this all the time. So, for instance, um, um, on page 96... Rhodey and Tony are talking and um and and Stark says I got to get to my apartment and then Rhodey says it ain't yours Stark and then we switch scenes to Stark standing in front of his apartment when the doorman says not anymore he finishes the sentence yeah. it isn't it ain't yours not anymore it ain't uh and this that kind of scene change happens quite a uh, a number of times in this issue which I really like I thought it was kind of neat Yeah he's uh he's trying to get Gretel into one of his you know apartments because you know she's pregnant she can't be on the streets and it's just it's just not working in his current state and then um also to 
I thought the cliffhanger for this was pretty cool. Um, I don't know how in detail we went with the Mandarin last issue, but basically all you need to know is he's got 10 rings on his fingers. They're like these powerful alien artifacts, and each one of them has a different power. Uh, one of the powers is mind control. So he unmasks Iron Man and actually is kind of surprised to see that he's a black man. He wasn't expecting this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and he uses the mind control ring to make Rhodes cut his throat. Yeah. And that's where we leave off. Why didn't he do that before? Why hasn't he ever mind controlled Iron Man in the past? Oh, I I don't know. He's Mandarin's kind of one of those characters where he can become somewhat problematic to write because you can almost literally like do anything with him. <laughs> like yeah. you, even if he just has two or three of his rings, he's still like, you know, like super like up there, a list villain. It's like he always has the infinity gauntlet. <laughs> exactly. Oh well, yeah. Oh, two of them almost. Cause he's, he's got <laughs> one right. Yeah. Can you, uh, can you name all of the Mandarin's rings oh, off man. the top of your head? You know, I could at one <laughs> point I had, um, I know that there is in the Marvel trading cards way back in the day, there was the Mandarin's ring card. They had them all laid out, but I don't remember. Do you know what what they all are? Oh God, I can try. There's like uh there's the mind control thing. There's, there's like an the, ice the blast and a fire yep, blast. There's an ice blast, electro blast. And then I don't know, uh, listeners, you can, you can help us out and correct us. But uh, <laughs> that card that you're talking about too, um, whenever they show like a display of the Mandarin's rings, it's always that same uh, Elliot Brown artwork from the old official handbooks. Yeah. So like that, that's kind of cool. I, I definitely like I remember that image like, you know, like very vividly because they used it so many times. Yeah. Up next, Iron Man number 181, Though My Life Be Forfeit. And we mentioned before how Jim Rhodes was having some headaches. We don't know really why or why they're happening or what's going on with that but it's actually a blessing in disguise here because i guess it's i guess it's kind of like a mild seizure or something it breaks mandarin's mind control so that kind of saves his life yeah and in the uh in the other part of the storyline uh tony searches for gretel she's gone missing uh, and she's already nine months pregnant that was really fast because she just found out in the other issue, and now all of a sudden she's, you know, ready to give birth. And um, and Tony is really concerned about her because they've been palling around for, I guess, nine months. I did now. Did they? Did he just? I don't know if she became pregnant or did she just tell him at that point. It's kind of confusing because the artwork doesn't really make her look pregnant. It's kind of hard to tell. Right. Um. So. She just told him. I don't know if she just found out herself. But, I mean, if she's not showing, she could easily be four four months in, maybe even five or six months in at that point. So maybe just three months, three or four months has passed. But still. From what I was, uh, yeah, from what I was interpreting, like, I I think, like, since Tony's been homeless, probably, like, maybe, like, a month or so tops has passed. I'm kind of. I'm going by the like the unwritten law of beard growth to measure time. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's a pretty thick beard though. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a respectable beard. But yeah, it's that's a that's about a one monther. So we'll 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 judge time by Tony's beard growth okay. and he's <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, um it's it's kinda 
I mean, it's like it's sort of like shooting fish in a barrel, and it's like you know, it's a it's a bad problem and things like that. But it's I just kind of thought it was like really just disgusting that she's like still at a bar drinking while she's you know however many months pregnant. Yep, but you know, if you're alcoholic, then that kind of thing. Uh, that yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's only something it that happens. happens. Fetal kind alcohol syndrome. Some, absolutely, it brings some realism to the, you know, to the plot. Kind of shows you just how how bad things really are, and just how bad it can get. Yeah, you know, don't don't take care of yourself. And then also speaking of not taking care of yourself, uh, New York City is supposed to be getting like a very serious blizzard uh, coming soon. So they are you know stuck on the streets, homeless. She's pregnant blizzards coming it just keeps getting worse and worse yeah well and not only that but like united states is about to be nuked by the mandarin so um, oh yeah we forgot about that yeah that's, yeah that, that, that's that's maybe a little bit worse than the blizzard <laughs> not by much. but nobody knows it's going to happen because iron man successfully saves america from uh from this world war three that's happening here so. Yeah, and when the Mandarin leaves, too, um, Rhodey does end up defeating him. Uh, so more, we're kind of continuing the story arc of Jim Rhodes' baptism by fire. Yeah. Uh, Ma- the Mandarin does escape. Uh, his crop disintegration machine is destroyed. And kind of kind of like a cool little take on Mandarin's character. Like, he's not upset that, like, his machines were destroyed or whatever because he could always rebuild those. He's more upset that the world won't be privileged to have his rule. And usher in like a new golden age, so kind of like Doctor yeah. Doom, but more egotistical. Well, kind of reminds me of uh, the brain from Animaniacs. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, and then the the very end is a tie into Secret Wars. Yeah, he gets uh, Jim Rhodes gets a phone call from his supporting cast, Morley and Clyde Irwin. And there's a mysterious portal that opened up in Central Park. And that's probably an entire, entirely separate podcast on its own. But Curtis, maybe just kind of briefly go over what's, what's happening with this thing here. Oh, man, I don't know. There's just there's an arena and he goes to investigate and he gets caught in a flashlight and disappears. And what happens in the Secret War story is he's transported to Battleworld and he has to fight a bunch of villains who have... All also all been tra- teleported there, um, along with a bunch of other heroes. And the the interesting thing about the Secret Wars miniseries is that in the regular continuity comics, they disappear in one issue and then immediately appear reappear in the next issue, and you don't know what's happened to them. And that's when the miniseries is running concurrently. So they come back a little bit changed, like you know Spider Man comes back with the black costume. That's the most famous change. Um, in the Fantastic Four, the thing doesn't come back. He stays in Battle World, and um, and then in Iron Man, he gets alien enhancements to his armor. So when it, if you were reading this at the time that it came out, Iron Man comes back in the next issue with enhanced armor, and you have no idea how because those issues haven't been published yet. The Secret Wars uh, issues it was an it was nine issues I think, and um, and they uh, twelve. Or twelve issues, yeah, and they and they were published after the characters all returned um, in, yeah, not, in the regular not books. Too long, too long after this, maybe like like a month or two af- after these couple issues. But 
Yeah, the interesting thing about that is because, I mean, you you weren't reading comics at this time, right? I mean, no. I, I no, yeah, I definitely I wasn't. was. I was three years old. <laughs> okay, but um, yeah, so coming into this late and only learning about secret wars from comic books and, you know, wizard magazine articles and things like that. I never knew that it was actually like it, that they were published in order like that until like, you know, within like the past, like, you know, five or 10 years, I, I found that out. So that must've been kind of uh, interesting to be following in real time. It's not too jarring here. Like, I really don't think that you need to know, um, like, I, I, it's, sometimes there's like this uh, desire for that some fans have like to get absolutely everything reprinted in epic form or like text recaps and things like that. It's not really needed here. All you need to know is he went away, he came back with some weird stuff, yeah. and then we'll go from there. <laughs> but if you want to read the story, check out The Secret Wars Trade. And, you know, I think it'd be fun to have like one episode about secret wars where we bring in like all of the co-hosts and we because all of our heroes are are in secret wars and we can just all talk about it together i think that'd be kind of fun are we gonna are we gonna be putting the two teams and battle each other for an ultimate we should yeah (laughs) i i am down for that (laughs) perfect okay the next issue is um two uh, sorry 182 it's called deliverance Tony finally comes to a major revelation about his life. And then also Gretel has her baby. And Rhodey returns from the Secret Wars. This is a this is a hard hitting issue because this the blizzard is in full force and Tony is doing what he can uh to try and find Gretel, but also trying to find alcohol. Um and he eventually does find Gretel and they take shelter in a car. And she has her baby. Uh, Tony delivers the baby, um, sort of on a on a front doorstep. There, it's the most PG birth that you could possibly have <laughs> in comics. Um, but it happens, and that poor naked infant is trapped in in a blizzard. Luckily, though, the uh, the the police arrive fairly quick because they're kind of just combing the streets looking for homeless people to take shelter anyway. Where they, you know, and they run into him, they get an ambulance, and thankfully the the baby's okay. But unfortunately, Gretel doesn't make it. Yeah, and here's one thing that uh that that I wish I would we could have seen. Um, and I understand why you don't do this because in comics and the continuity of things, it just doesn't work. But I would have liked to see Tony sort of take responsibility for this baby yeah or have some sort of like he never references the baby ever again the baby does come back it's it's very briefly though um because i i actually i don't think i've read the issue but like i have um the uh the official index to the marvel universe so i kind of use that for footnotes when i'm going through these for my podcasting notes Nice. And uh, they they do mention that the baby shows up, but I think it's only for like one more appearance, and it's not like okay. it's not like anything major. Yeah, is it it's, in um, Denny O'Neill's run? When does uh, when does Denny stay on? He stays on till two hundred because I, I know this is he stays on almost... he, he stays on a little past two hundred. Um, we have I think one more full volume after this of Denny O'Neill. Okay. Um, because I have my hands full right now, Curtis, what issue is this? And I can, I can tell you when that baby shows up again. Uh, this is issue 182. 
182. Okay, so the baby shows up again. I know this is a top-notch podcasting here. Okay, here we go. Timothy Anders, Gretel's son. Uh, he's next in Iron Man number 199. So that's definitely Danny O'Neill's run. Okay, and that's going to be one of the first issues of the next next volume then. Yeah, so I, I've never read that before. Neither have so, I. But interesting to see what happens to yeah. this uh, this poor kid. And right here, um, we ca- I, I definitely... I. We were praising uh, Denny's treatment of alcoholism in the previous volume. Um, I know we kind of, we briefly touched on how a lot of times in media, like other forms of media, entertainment or whatever, like the portrayal of a drunk is always like kind of goofy and like the, you know, the hicks, like they always write like that uh, HIC, like whenever whenever a drunk is talking. Yeah, right. (laughs) And like. There's really, there's really none of that here. It is very realistic. Um, it's not preachy. It, it gets the message across without being too heavy-handed. And um, yeah, like this is the moment where he kind of finally realizes that you know I'm I'm never going to drink again. Like this is like a life-changing thing for him. And they even uh, yeah. adds more uh, gravitas to the situation. They end with a quote from Buddha: uh, "Work out your salvation with diligence." Oh wow! Yeah, so you get you're getting a uh, getting some uh, spiritual uh, enlightenment too from these Iron Man issues. Yeah, and it's cool. And it's like there's the sunrise in the background that kind of, it's a new day. Yeah, it's a neat way to end. Um, And this is, this whole volume right here goes in so many different places, but it is extremely well paced. Um, Yeah. Even when reading it in a giant collection like this, it doesn't seem rushed or drawn out. It's like the perfect amount of time um maybe it would have seen a little seemed a little bit more drawn out if we were reading it on a monthly schedule because that would have been like you know two years passed by but um but i think denny really knows how to 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 pace his storylines oh yeah then denny denny's definitely uh he's a pro especially by at this point in his career uh one thing i I do want to mention too like before we uh just a couple last notes on this one um I thought the cover for this was absolutely amazing. Like this is a very iconic cover. It's got Tony. He's just kind of laying like in the, in the alleyway. And there's a lot of like, um, like use of white for like the snow on the walls. And then just written in the snow, it says in the morning, Tony Stark will be sober or dead. Yeah. It's a, so that's, that's a real powerful cover. And yeah. I do want to add too that, um, this is a powerful cover, but, I don't think that Luke McDonald, like if you kind of look through the rest of these, I don't think his covers are really that interesting. They're actually very bland and I don't really blame him because I know he was, he was doing so much work. Like this is a point where probably they could have gotten some other people to do some of the covers for these. You'll see like, there's a lot of like, you know, blank backgrounds or just like kind of static poses, but, um, not here though. This one's awesome. Uh, and in my opinion, too, I think this is the high point of this particular volume. My yeah, favorite yeah, issue. yeah. This would definitely was was a good one because it's not it. It's not about super heroics. It no, is, not this at is all. real people dealing with real issues, and um, and it's great. It, it's just, it's it's so good. <laughs> yeah, and and Iron yeah. Man's not in it because it was a perfect timing as well because Iron Man was in Secret Wars. So he only returns at the end of this issue um, and is there for a couple of pages. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's really good. For uh, As far as Tony, too, we do know that um, 
you know, he, he did have a, a stay in the hospital where I'm sure, you know, they, they addressed his issues. Uh, he, he did have frostbite and uh, cirrhosis of the liver. So he was, he was hospitalized. I mean, cause secret wars was happening. So this was probably, you know, a good few weeks while, while he was in the hospital and uh, he does not want to be Ironman anymore. So he gives the armor to Jim Rhodes uh, permanently as well as permanent as things can get in comics as we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And that's a decision that, um, Rody really takes to heart and has yeah, repercussions later on in this book. All right. So up next we have uh, Iron Man 183, all the kinds of fear. And this is another one, like kind of what I was mentioning earlier about the covers. Uh, it's kind of just a static cover. You see a villain in shadow with tentacles and, uh, sneaking up behind Rody who's missing his gloves. And uh, the reason why Rhodey's missing his gloves is because he does not understand this new technology that he brought back from uh, the Secret Wars. Um, so he's just going into these battles. He already doesn't know any, well, not anything, but he doesn't know much about the Iron Man armor, and now he's without his repulsor beams. So he is uh, at a handicap when he's getting into these supervillain battles. I feel like at the time... Um... Uh, Denny was kind of forced to include the Secret Wars stuff in the books. And so he got rid of that any ties to Secret Wars as soon as he could. <laughs> Let's just get rid of that armor. We're not using it. <laughs> Whereas yeah. um, the, the black costume stuck around for a lot longer. Yeah. And actually, too, um, this, uh, this thing that's attached to Iron Man, this actually does show up much later on. And there's a book that is pretty notorious for cleaning up just oddball bits of continuity. And uh, I'm not sure if you know what that is, Curtis, but it's written by Mark Grunewald. Uh, what is it? It's uh, Quasar. Oh. <laughs> so Qu Quasar had a long-running series in the early 90s, and I kind of jokingly uh, heard people refer to it as, as uh, continuity porn. Really? Because <laughs> if you know... Uh, I, me personally, I love Mark Grunewald. I think he, I think he's an awesome writer. Yeah, he's not he's that great. taste, but he's um, he's a lot of fun if you're really into that like super geeky like what happened you know to that villain that appeared in one issue of you know the backup strip and tales to astonish from 1964 or something. You know, <laughs> he ju he's just like he loves going back and like just dusting off all these old concepts and villains and bringing them back. So yeah, this does show up again. Uh, it's. It's really just a footnote in his history, though. It did it did not become as popular as the other thing that got brought back from that Secret Wars dimension, right? But it's basically the same concept. <laughs> it is. It is. The villains of this um, issue is a uh, Taurus. The guy on the cover is Taurus, one of the Zodiac cartel. Um, this this was a a weird. This was a weird issue, and I think I had to read it. I think twice to try and kind of follow what was going on because um, it wasn't entirely clear. There are two rival groups that are claiming the name Zodiac and using the Zodiac uh, concept of each person using being one member of the Zodiac, right? And, and they're like fighting each other. There's, there's a lot of Zodiacs. Um, I consider myself like pretty up to date with like a lot of this kind of like continuity porn stuff as we mentioned before but like the zodiac is one of those groups that like 
kind of like the Eternals. Like whenever they show up, I just kind of go, eh. and there's like, you know, four or five different versions of, of the team. And they're kind of just generic. Like we want to conquer the world villains. There's not much else to them. Um, one of these Zodiacs, they actually reveal later on, it's an LMD, like the robot one, life model decoy. Right. And uh, yeah, so they're, they're kind of fighting against each other. I do like, that uh, Taurus, um, the human Taurus, Cornelius Van Lunt, he actually places a bomb inside of uh, their truck, like as like a as a trap for when they're uh, loading up the moving truck, Rhodey and the Irwins, and he's just like in in his uh, civilian duds, so like nobody knows who the the original Taurus is, so they just kind of they kind of just ignore it, like they don't think anything's going on. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Just uh, just real quick though, I, I said how um, like I thought last issue was like the high point of this volume. This is kind of where things really start to turn around. Um, Rhodes is getting very snippy with like everybody. He's making a lot of wise ass comments towards uh, Morley. Um, he's kind of getting paranoid, and you don't see a lot of it yet, but it's it's definitely going to be um, uh, a big. It's going to coming forward in future issues okay our next issue is 184 it's called on the road and in this one tony is out of the hospital and he is uh joining jim morley and cly as they take off to california because that's the destination where they want to start their new startup company um but they are stopped on the way by more zodiac yes yeah this uh this Zodiac is Taurus, right? I believe. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Taurus, um, or no, the, the first one was Taurus. Taurus calls in Aries and, um, I like Aries commitment to his gimmick. Like if you notice he's, uh, he's at like his house and he's got a rug on the floor <laughs> yeah, that actually right. has like the, the, the horns on it. And I'm like, that's not very practical. Like what if it's like, it's, you don't have the light on and you trip over yeah, it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that guy is committed. These zodiacs are—I mean, they're—they're they're crazy. So, wow. And um, another another thing too about the covers, um, th- this one, like I just—it's <laughs> another one I thought was really boring. It's just a silhouette of California with like the characters <laughs> on top of it and like no background, just like a dull, like puke green color. And it kind of mm. reminds me of like um, like you ever get those like uh those really cheap like uh novels like when you were a kid like that had um like they were like adventure novels but they always had like really weird like sort of like uh generic covers it kind of reminded me of that right yeah like like the adventure team goes to california or something (laughs) (laughs) Uh, they got some other yeah not the most inspired cover for sure cover artist (laughs) yeah um yeah what did you what did you think of uh the zodiacs um kind of a silver age villain traps here that they're setting up um they were they're pretty funny i uh i actually like those issues where they um they just have like you know someone walks into a death trap house where every floor is a death (laughs) trap um they're just fun right they're just kind of fun entertaining books but this one again i don't know i i i think i had to read this issue in like four different sittings because it just did not hold my interest it was just I didn't care about the villains. Um, Tony's storyline is stalled at the moment because he's, I guess he's recovered and out of the hospital, so nothing's really interesting is happening to him. And 
Rhodey's storyline hasn't really ramped up yet either. So it's definitely this kind of calm before the storm, not terribly interesting stuff that's going on here. Aquarius is also in this issue, though. Uh, yep, Aquarius is actually the one who sets up the death trap, and he's also very c- committed to this entire Aquarius thing because uh, blowing up the bridge that the truck goes over represents air and water. <laughs> so so he's, he's got a gimmicky death trap. Um, of course, they they survive. Um, just just to mention too, Tony is traveling with them, so like they're they're all together now after a you know a long time of being apart. Tony, the Irwins. And Rhodes, they're all going to California together to, you know, hopefully start a new life. Yeah. And Rhodey gets another headache. Yeah, these uh, these head- these headaches just keep getting worse and worse. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention too, I like uh, Jim Rhodes uh, having a kung fu movie collection, <laughs> and <laughs> so he's packing all of those things into his uh, into the moving van, and I th- they get ruined, don't they? I think when the truck like falls off the bridge. Yeah. So that's a bummer. I know VH, VHS tapes must have been pretty pretty expensive back then. Yeah, probably. And, um, they're probably like I, 25 yeah. 30 bucks. <laughs> I noted, too, that uh, there, there's a scene where they're packing where Cly uh, picks up one of Rhodey's movies. And I don't know what that thing is, but it does not look like a VHS tape. Like, there's a huge divot in the top of it, and it's colored red. And... Uh, <laughs> I actually asked about this on like uh, on another uh, comics uh, chronology website, trying to figure out what that was because you know this is kind of before my time. I know VHS was out back then, but uh, I for some reason I thought like just the way the dialogue was worded, I, I thought that this was like a portable kind of a uh, like video uh, machine or something, and which I mean that would have been an extremely high end item by 1984 standards. But uh, then if you kind of look at the second panel where Clyde's holding it, like that, that huge divot isn't there again. So it, it looks more like a videotape. So I think it might have just kind of been one of those things where like the art reference wasn't there. So they kind of just winged it. But yeah, it, it was kind of confusing upon like a first reading to me. I don't know if you thought the same thing. <laughs> uh, I didn't notice. But yeah, now that I look <laughs> at it, it, it's very unusual. For because sure. she's, hold, she's holding it like she's holding like a... Um, what do you call it? Like the Wii U or whatever? Yeah. Is that the point? Yeah, she's holding it like, like kind of like how you'd hold something like that as she's, and she's still looking at it on the second panel. It's like, you don't look at like the title of a video for that long. So I like, I, I really interpreted it like she was looking at a screen. Well, no, but... she's looking at two different movies. Ah, um, uh, okay. The first one is Kung Fu Mamas Fight the Ninja Hippies. And then in the next panel, she's looking at Kung Fu Teacher in the Killer Kindergarten. Oh yeah, I mean those are completely different movies. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah that, that's cool. Though. I, I like how they give that um just little bits of characterization like that to Rhodey too. Like that makes him a million times cooler in my book. <laughs> the next issue is Iron Man number one hundred and eighty-five, Terror in Tulaluma. And in doing research for this episode, I Googled Tulaluma to see if that was a real place. And the first thing that came up in my Google search was this issue. <laughs> <laughs> so this is actually not a real place. Okay. It does sound like it's a place, you know, like uh, my uncle owns a condo in Tulaluma or something. Like yeah, it right. sounds real, <laughs> but I guess it's not. Um, yeah, so they, uh, they're in California now. And... Um, they're just kind of, you know, planning on setting up this new business. And Rhodes is starting to get really, really jealous of Tony. 
because when they finally wrap up this whole Zodiac situation, uh, they don't really know what to do with, well, not they, but Rhodes doesn't really know what to do with them as far as like the authorities. And uh, Tony just kind of puts the Iron Man helmet on and he knows like the, the frequency for like the shield, like emergency line. So he just kind of oh, like, oh, I can do that. I'll just alert shield. And that kind of rubs Rhodes the wrong way. Like he really does not like when Tony interferes with the armor when it's supposed to be his. Right. And, and just and shows them up as well. It's partly yeah. that is like, no, he's not supposed to be the hotshot anymore. He's washed up. I'm the guy that does all this stuff. Um, but then Tony comes in and pushes a few buttons and can do a, amazing things. Yeah. yeah and I, I, I'm not sure if this is intentional or if I'm just reading too much into it, but there, we're going to get into some of this stuff later that I really don't like, but there's some very subtle like characterizations here that like, I like a lot. Like you get the feeling that like Tony, Tony, even though he just, you know, he's just recovered from the absolute low point of his life he still kind of can't help being Tony. You know, he can't help being kind of arrogant, even when he's not trying to be. Mm-hmm. And Rhodes is kind of a, he's always sort of hot headed and like, you know, why does Tony have so much more than me and this and that you kind of get the feeling that these, these two guys, like they are best friends. Like they really do care about each other, but they're probably not the best at, you know, just having conversations with each other. Right. And that's where like the, all the problems is like if these yeah. two just sat down and maybe talked about it, you know, this all this uh, tension would wouldn't be there. But they're just they're, they're just poor communicators. And I, and I think that's cool to kind of showcase a flaw like that, whether whether that was intentional by Denny or not. I, I still th- that that's kind of how I read it. Yeah. And they uh, Morley and Clyde both recognize that as well and they call him on it individually a number of times yeah um but but they, n- neither tony nor or nor jim actually do anything about it yeah yeah it's it's uh well i'm sure that you've probably been in this everyone's been in this situation before like if you're ever around those friends that like you know, like they're friends, but like they don't hang out with each other. And like, you know, when they bicker or like, you know, if you're around those couples that bicker, you hate being in like that uncomfortable like situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's kind of like the position that they're in. Right the, yeah. Yeah. You don't, you want to say something, but you don't really want to say something at all. Yeah, either. It's just awkward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, another thing I thought that was uh, kind of cool here was um, there's a, uh, a panel with uh, Iron Man at the police station, the Jim Rhodes Iron Man, and he's drinking coffee through a straw. Yes. <laughs> so um, I can kind of uh, identify with that. I, I showed you these, Curtis, I think, but um, I went to uh, the New York Comic Con last year and <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, I was a deaf side. It was a great costume. Yeah. So I was fully committed to the gimmick. You know, I had like the Zodiac thing going on, fully committed to the gimmick. So I, whenever I had to drink something, I just kind of forced the straw through those teeth. So yeah, it's not easy. I, I <laughs> sympathize. Yeah. Um, this was my favorite issue out of all of these Zodiac ones, mainly because the, it, it was a great setup with this girl that they find. I had no idea about the plot twist. And, uh, and so I, therefore I liked the issue. Uh, I like it when writers can take me by surprise. Yeah, definitely. The next issue is 186, Though This Fault Be Mine, and that's a 
double meaning because they're talking about <laughs> fault is in blame, but also fault is in like um, the San Andreas fault where they are um, because this issue has to do with earthquakes. Oh, I was going to say that's actually not the most uh, corniest like uh, double meaning in this too because uh, the villain is named uh, Professor Vibero, like V I B E R E A U X. Right, like it's French. His name is Vibro. <laughs> so it's like, I love it. That's yeah. kind of like uh, Richter from the New Mutants. Like he's actually his last name is Richter. It's spelled like the Richter scale, and then yep. his code name is just R I C T O R. I'm like, oh, God, or Doctor Otto Octavius. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what a coincidence! It's just yeah, <laughs> it's perfect. Um, that and that makes this a classic Silver Age villain that happens to be created in the eighties. Yeah, this is uh, this is extremely silvery. Like even down to his origin, like uh, he just kind of you know he falls into a volcano and gains volcano powers because that's what happens, I guess. <laughs> uh, so yeah, in this issue, Rhodey uh, saves hostages on an oil rig and is attacked by this new villain Vibro. And Vibro it, has taken these hostages because he believes that they are the ones who have caused him to have these powers and he becomes quite disfigured um, because of the powers as well I'm not sure exactly why maybe the vibrations loosen his skin or knock out his teeth I'm not exactly sure yeah he definitely like he looks like a he's like a normal guy at the beginning and now he's like completely deformed he kind of looks like um oh he kind of uh, that, that's who he reminds me of he reminds me of Sloth from the Goonies <laughs> yeah <laughs> like he, he looks like Sloth <laughs> like uh like a modified Cyclops visor. So, of course, they, they hit California, and the first thing they encounter is an earthquake-based villain because um, that's one of the stereotypes of living in California is that you're always caught in earthquakes. Yeah, and uh, as a Canadian, you always have snow up there too, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but it also serves dual purpose because uh, the West Coast Avengers has just set up as, as well around this time, and they're based out of California, so... They want, I guess, I don't know if it was editors or something like that, wanted to have some of their heavy hitters to come and be part of West Coast Avengers. So they wanted Iron Man to move out to California as well. So that's kind of, I think that drove a lot of the purpose for making this uh, kind of shift in the story. Yeah, and I, I kind of like it from like um, from somebody that kind of like appreciates like the Marvel Universe from like a wider lens. Like, why, why does everything have to happen in New York? Like, you know, California is a, a huge, huge population center. Like, there, there should be, you know, villains and heroes out there, too. So That was one of the things about Runaways. Um, in the first very first volume, when the Pride is talking about why they're based in California, is because there aren't any heroes out there. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, it's been a while since I read that. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, oh um, one thing about uh, Rhodey's behavior in this, too. This is where... Like it kind of, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it feels natural anymore. And we'll. I'll. I'll talk about this at length. I guess at the end. But he's almost like becoming like cartoon supervillain. Like right now with his behavior, like he's just making these snide comments about like the location. He's just completely unlikable. Like the change feels so forced. Like he went through so much trouble to like build this guy up as like a likable, like genuinely good person in, in Iron Man armor, and then. It feels like they're kind of taking it away from him without, like, making him, like, earn it first, I guess. Um, 
Maybe. I didn't think it was that forced. I, I felt like it was gradual. I mean, it's been gradual over four, uh, four issues or so, which is four months of publishing. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that I think is maybe that it's just the fact that we're reading it in big chunks, but I thought it was yeah, okay. There, there are certain aspects of it. Like I, I definitely like, but I mean, when, when Tony's back, like it, it certainly get, gets, gets ramped up. And well, and I think yeah, that's I just because Tony's around. He, yeah, he's even more on edge whenever Tony's right. in the same room as him. Yeah. And he makes a morally questionable deal with Fortney, the guy who Vibro's trying to kill, um, which is something that Tony wouldn't do as well. Um, he just he he takes he uh, takes Fortney away so the authorities won't have to talk with him because Fortney's willing to give him money, and yeah. it's, uh, that's just not something that you'd find Tony doing. Yeah, Rhodes is definitely uh, he's definitely a lot more irrational in his decision making. Okay, so uh, up next, we have Iron Man number 187, The Vengeance of Vibro. So more Vibro here. Uh, as we mentioned, he rescued, uh, Iron Man rescued his, Vibro's former employer, who Vibro wanted revenge on for, you know, his disfigurement and being involved in that accident. So now he wants revenge on both of them. And he, uh, he takes the fight to Iron Man, and the Irwins kind of, have their little moment to shine right here. They discover that the farther away Vibro is from the San Andreas fault, the weaker his powers get. So I thought that was kind of cool. Like, uh, not handing it to Tony that issue. Like they get their little moment in the sun. Yeah. I just found that funny. Cause it's like, there's no scientific explanation for the fact that if he's closer to the fault, um, that his powers get stronger. It's just yeah. kind of the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we don't read these for the scientific explanations. Yeah, and then um, speaking of science, too, uh, Rhodes—he's not a scientist by any means. You know, he's a—he's a pilot. He was a soldier. He feels like a total third wheel when the scientists start talking. So he kind of, uh, kind of like what I mentioned before about like lack of communication skills. He kind of just brushes them off, like, "All right, you guys, whatever. I'm out of here. I don't want to talk to you when you're talking geek stuff." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, his his headaches are getting a lot worse too, and they actually find a reason for for that here. Part one of that reason, I guess, we'll get into more of it later. But they they discover that uh, the the headaches are actually caused because the Iron Man armor is specifically programmed to interact with Tony's brain. So Tony discovers that, and he fixes it, and then he also fixes the repulsors. So Iron Man is presumably ready for action again and it's all because of tony Rhodes has nothing to do with it and you can imagine how that makes him feel oh yes <laughs> um on page 264 and 265 i really like this panel layout uh, of, the, of the two pages here because you have um a stacked column of three panels that take your eye down the page as you read and then you move over to the next panel and the, that panel takes you up through Vibro, through his vibrations, and up to Iron Man, and then the speech bubbles above him. And then your eye kind of stays at the top of the page because that's where the action is um, over the next two panels, over the over the page, over to the next page, and then um, and then your eye is brought down through uh, this final column, this final panel 
because um, the speech bubbles lead you that way. So it's it's a very intentional directional pull that your eye is taking through these double pages. I like that. Yeah, and these uh, those panels you mentioned too, like he's making like he's making Iron Man kind of you know look like a, like a nobody compared to him. I always thought yeah. that like villains with those kind of powers would are like they're definitely way more powerful like you know scientifically speaking theoretically speaking than they're actually depicted in comics like this vibro guy should be like an a-list villain you know like thinking about what he can do like as far as like causing earthquakes and vibrations and things like that well yeah but, he starts decimating whole buildings and stuff right he's, he's right. knocking things down um it takes a it takes a certain mind to be able to challenge and use the powers properly to be more powerful. And I think Vibro is just right. not at that level of intellect to be able to properly fully utilize that, his, his abilities. Like we mentioned before too, they, like they, they had to give him an Achilles heel. They, they took him away from the San Andreas fault to beat him because, you know, kind of like we we're saying before with the Mandarin, like you write villains that are too powerful then you kind of write yourself into a corner. So you got to you gotta think of ways that these guys can be beat too, or else you just you don't have interesting stories. Yeah. In, in the, I think it was the last issue, they set up their new base of operations, uh, which is a, a dome. And on the last page in this issue, they're sitting inside this dome, and the inside <laughs> of the dome just kind of looks like the outside of the dome, and it's it looks like it's like a tent or something like that. Yeah. But it like has all of their super scientific equipment in, in in a later issue, and but it's kind of just a weird structure. <laughs> I don't know. Um, do you golf at all? Um, I have golfed a few times. Are you familiar with like uh, those domes that go over like the indoor um, like driving ranges and golf courses? Is uh, we really. have like we have a big uh, casino over here um, where they have uh, structures that actually look just like that. Oh, okay. And yeah, they, they don't look like that on the inside. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's an odd uh, artistic decision. This is very strange. And, yeah. It's just kind of a, a weird design. I don't know. Um, it's very like kind of bland for what they're going for. Yeah. Um, and we should say too, the actual name of the company is uh, circuits Maximus. I think they named that by, by this point. Right, I think so and, too. Uh, kind of a cool, a cool little um, touch on that is it doesn't have Stark in the name, and right. you know, it's e egotistical Tony Stark has always named everything Stark this, Stark that before, so it's kind of showing Tony in a new light, like he's not, you know, he's been humbled. Number one eighty-eight, and Grim shall be their name. A couple of losers find the brother brothers Grim costumes and cause problems around town. And uh, that's one of the story. And the B story is Rhodey really, really hates Tony. I, I, there was an issue in one of the Spider-Man volumes. I think it was the Cosmic Adventures volume that I read that had the Brothers Grimm. And that was, I think, the lowest point of that volume. I did not like that issue. <laughs> and I can't say that I liked this issue much more than that. Brothers Grimm are I, not that interesting. Yeah, th this version definitely isn't. I will come to their defense just a little bit because th this isn't the original Brothers Grimm. The original Brothers Grimm were Spider-Woman villains and they're a little bit more interesting than Spider-Woman. Here, they're just people. Um, 
Oh, and and speaking of like coincidental uh, naming conventions, uh, they're two brothers with the last name Grimes, and they happen to find their brother's Grim costume. <laughs> Come on, so uh, yeah, they just kind of luck into these costumes because they inherited like a theater from where they were before. Um, so not too much like motivation there. And then they, they, as you said, they kind of run amok amongst uh, among California. Um, the original Brothers Grimm too. This actually has ties to uh, way, way, way back in like the original Tales of Suspense Iron Man issues. There was a villain called Mister Doll, and oh, I think yeah. like he, he was he was like a one time villain. Like Iron Man did not have a rogues gallery until like the late sixties. Like there were so many one shot villains in those early Tales of Suspense comics because you know they were still kind of figuring out what they were doing with this stuff. Um, and he was one of them. He was like a guy that had like he was mystical, uh, mystically powered and like controlled these dolls stuff. And I'm probably missing some details, but they that spirit somehow animated these bodies. And it's just, yeah, they're they're odd villains. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't I don't think they really they really don't do that much explanation here as far as like knowing who these people are. And I think we're uh, depending on the readers to uh, know who these uh, villains were from Spider Woman comics from like five years ago. That's kind of that's kind of asking a lot. Like yeah. They could have maybe a little bit of recap here. Um. So this is the uh, this is the the issue that is not drawn by Luke McDonald because I think he's doing he's working on the uh, the annual at the time, which is yeah the annual is actually coming up next so yeah they that makes sense to give him some time off for this issue looks like it's about 40 pages as well so yeah um but it's still inked by steve mitchell so i feel like there's um some continuity still like it keeps the art consistent he does a lot of the same sort of shading things to uh to don perlin's art in order to keep uh keep it keeps you know it flowing what? well if you if you just didn't if you ignored the credits and just kept reading through this, you can't even tell. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, Perlin. Perlin, um, we mentioned Gillis was on the Defenders for a while. Don, Don Perlin actually had a pretty long run as a Defenders artist as well. Nice. And kind of just another, you know, another basic uh, Marvel-style artist from the early 80s. Yeah, he's just, he's solid. He's dependable and... Um doesn't have to rely on splash pagey gimmicks or anything like that. He does a good job. Yeah. Uh, one thing we can mention too, is that the bickering really gets ramped up in this issue. Cause Rhodes is starting to make like offhanded comments about Tony's drinking problem, which I mean, that that's a low blow. Like this guy just like came out of like recovery and he's, you know, taking shots on him. Yeah. Uh, because he, he actually finds Iron Man armor, too, that Tony's been working on. So that completely throws him over the edge. And we end with, I hate Tony Stark in, like, a huge, uh, prof- like, kind of reminiscent of Kitty Pride's Professor Xavier is a jerk. Like, I <laughs> right. So Tony Stark is a jerk. That's what we have to learn from this. The flow of the story is interrupted a little bit because now we have the Iron Man annual. Uh, do you want to take us through this, James? Yeah, this is... Uh... Iron Man Annual number seven, When Giants Walk the Earth. Uh, we have Bob Harris back here. Um, I like this sto- uh, story a lot more than his other issue. Me too. Uh, I've got a can... soft spot for Goliath. I actually think he's a great character. Awesome. Awesome. Because I'm, I'm in that club too. Uh, I was a huge, huge, huge Thunderbolts fan. 
And this is kind of where he becomes like, I mean, he's still called Goliath in this issue, but like as far as his power set and everything, he kind of remains this version of Eric Jostin, his real name, uh, until this day. Right. Yeah, because before this, he's known as Power Man, not and not yeah. the Luke Cage Power Man, but um, he was just kind of a, a strong goon for hire, basically. And it's not until this issue that he gets his power set that defines him. The, the very first comic that I ever got was Web of Spider-Man, I think it's 60, where Cosmic Spidey fights Goliath. And oh, cool. so that's, and that's part of the reason why I like Goliath so much, because he was the first villain that I re ever really read. Um, oh, absolutely. So there you go. And so it was neat to see kind of his, this formative issue for him where he gets this, the growing powers um, from this guy who ends up being um, a power broker, which is a, a, a weird group from the, from the eighties. Yeah, this one, uh, the scientist is Carl Malice. Uh, he was in some old Spider-Woman issues, I think. So two in a row here where we get old uh, dusted off Spider-Woman vil villains. Um, one thing that I really liked in this was that they did, because this is an annual, so you have, you know, you have extra pages to play around with here. You're not rushed. Um, they do a very good job recapping pretty much the entire history of Eric Jostin. And they don't really do that in comics anymore. And it's it's something that I miss because he's gone through a lot of changes over the years. As you mentioned, he was a power man and kind of lost that name in a fight with Luke Cage for like, who's the real power man? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, he became the smuggler for a while. Uh, he was originally given Wonder Man's powers. So this guy's he's worked for Zemo. He's worked for the Enchantress. Uh, he's kind of been betrayed by everybody that he's ever worked for. The Mandarin, the Lethal Legion. He's been all over the place. So he's kind of he wants his own identity. So they give him the pin particles and the pin particles mixed with, uh, the wonder man ionic power. Uh, that's a, that's a pretty lethal combination. So yeah. this guy, this guy should really be, you know, he's, he's maybe not a list, but he's up there as, as far as at least like a, like a threat potential. Um, in more recent history, malice gets the carnage symbiote. Um, so that's an interesting path for his character. I haven't read those oh. issues. I just read about that. Yeah. I, um, you notice too, there's like, there's a lot of these characters running around Marvel that are kind of like the same, like Carl Malice, uh, the power broker, um, was, was the, um, was the foreigner, somebody like that too, or maybe not the foreigner. Who am I thinking of? But, there's like a lot of these scientists that are just kind of background characters that end up giving people powers often to, uh, you know, disastrous results. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Um, Malice joins Power Brokers Incorporated. And I think, okay. I, I think He's... is he the one who gives Sharon Ventura her Miss Marvel powers? I can't remember. I, I think that's because he's not the actual power broker. I know there was Power Broker Incorporated, but then wasn't the power broker a different guy? Uh, he wasn't the head of Power Broker Incorporated. I don't remember. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a while since I. I think that was like those are old Captain America issues or something. Where, yeah, where that. Happened. But yeah, anyway, there there is a lot of these guys running around the Marvel universe, and I mean, hey, if you have the brains for it, that's probably a lucrative business. <laughs> <laughs> There's always guys looking for revenge on you know the 
getting beat up by you know Moon Knight in 1972 or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we also see uh, the West Coast Avengers for the first time. So I, I think it's always been implied that Iron Man was affiliated with the Avengers dur- uh, during this time. Um, the West Coast Avengers like just started. So uh, what would you would you think about uh, kind of seeing like a early part of their relationship? Um, it was good. I think it's uh it's neat that it's not Tony, um, but they still think it's the regular Iron Man. Like they uh they just assume he's the same guy. Yeah, they always thought that he was just a bodyguard. I think the only person who knew for for sure that he was Tony was probably Captain America, right? At yeah, this point, I think so. Yeah, but yeah, it's uh I've never read any of the West Coast Avengers, so I don't know their stories, but um. But yeah, yeah it, I actually this this might be like sacrilegious in some circles, but I never really liked West Coast Avengers. <laughs> like I, I like the I like the idea behind it, and I like I liked Engelhart a lot too. But like his run, I didn't really like on West Coast Avengers. I didn't think he was a good fit for it. And yeah, it's just to me, it's just a series that never really lived up to its potential. But um, I like them here. I like this is just kind of a cool like Marvel team up style fight. Yep. They uh they figure out a way to beat um. To beat uh, Goliath, you know he t- he takes Goliath as a name here, not as revenge on Hank Pym, but as revenge on Clint Barton, Hawkeye from when he was Goliath. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, you actually see too. Uh, you you said you you did read Thunderbolts, right? Yep. Like much later on. Okay, like the I, I read, read the early issues of Thunderbolts. Okay, yeah, I, I I read a lot of that stuff too. I was I was a big fan of that, and um, I know that when Kurt Busiek was writing Thunderbolts, like a lot of those characters were kind of like blank slates as far as characters at that point in time. Right. But you really do see, you see a lot of uh, his personality here. It's actually kind of more developed than I thought it was. I always thought he was kind of a generic villain, but you see how loyal he is, uh, you know, to whoever's employing him, um, you know, up until he decides he doesn't want to do that anymore. But, you know, you see that he's a very loyal character. Uh, he's, possibly not like completely evil he's just you know misunderstood and that kind of plays into thunderbolts much later on so i think whether that was intentional or not i i think that's pretty cool um is an interesting parallel iron man makes with goliath he's in the on the last page he says uh he said i couldn't understand a guy like you goliath but funny thing is i do you were terrified as being a has-been and i'm afraid of being a never was and in the end What's the difference? Um, and I think that uh, we can see a little bit of Rhodey's journey here. Um, and a lot of the reasons why he does what he does is because he's not trying to help people, but he's trying to make a name for himself. Yeah, he's he's trying very hard to prove himself. And I think prove himself to Tony most of all. Yeah. Even though he acts like he doesn't care about Tony at all, a lot of his actions and motivations and even the things he says is to cover up the fact that he thinks that Tony looks down on him. Yeah, they they have an interesting relationship, those two. Issue number 189 is called A Thing That Bores From Within. Another double-meaning title (laughs) because bore is talking about like termites boring through wood, but also we're talking about how um, Rhodey's thoughts, emotions, and stuff are boring through him, and his even his headaches kind of causing causing a lot of damage, internal damage. Yeah. 
Um, so we are introduced to a brand new villain. He's called the Termite. And he has the power to... Um, anything he touches sort of weakens and he can um, or dissolve or crumble or whatever. Uh, so he uses that for uh, corporate espionage. He's a hired villain who's going into... To, to 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 uh um wreck other people's buildings and it turns out he's actually hired by stain which we haven't seen at all in this volume yet no this is uh this is the first time we've seen stain in uh in quite a while so they they kept him off panel for a long time but yeah he's still there he's in control of tony's company and looks like he's uh getting ready to be thrown back into the picture here one of the really interesting things here is that uh tony or sorry that um after Rhodey saves a hostage, um, the hostage makes some sort of comment about, you know, if going on a date with the person who saved him. And so um, Rhodey actually takes her up on that offer and just tries to hide himself under a hat so he isn't really recognized, <laughs> which is kind of silly. Um, yeah. <laughs> but again, there's a there's a decision that is uniquely Rhodey, something that Tony wouldn't do, even though Tony is, you know, a playboy. He's a million. Yeah. He's a, a ladies' man. He would wouldn't sacrifice his identity for that. But Rhodey seems to have no problem with it. Yeah, and we're we're kind of deep into uh, the Rhodey's not as good as being Iron Man period right here. So I found it kind of interesting that they actually this is the first time that we get a customized intro for James Rhodes uh, for James Rhodes. Oh yeah. Um. So on, like on the title page, like you know how they usually have like, oh, when Tony Stark was hit by shrapnel, blah blah blah, he became the Invincible Iron Man. Um, this is the first issue where they actually personalize the introduction for James Rhodes. So it's kind of weird seeing it that late, this late in the game, but yeah, there it is. You know when when um, Superior Spider Man was happening, and Doc Ock was was Spider Man, people were like that thing's only going to last a couple months and it'll go back to normal or whatever. And then it lasted like two years. And a lot of people were like, that was so drawn out and why can't they go back? And, or is this, is this it? Will <laughs> we ever see Peter Parker again? I think the same thing happened with uh, Ben Riley when Ben Riley was Spider-Man. Um, but it's one of these things where they change that heading here and people are like, oh, I guess this is for real now. I guess this actually is a permanent thing. Yeah, um, because Rhodey's Rhodey has been Iron Man now for well, it's over twelve issues, so that's going to be over a year, um, and with no end in sight. And then they they make a move like that, so people are like, "Oh, this is going to this is the new Iron Man." Yeah, it, it definitely. I mean, it it seems like it's it's something that they're really going to stick to. So yeah, I, I didn't even look at it that way, but definitely the throwing that text box up there kind of helps the change sink in even more. But um, despite the fact that they're trying to position Rhodey as Iron Man, like he's he's messing up a lot. Like in this issue, uh, he presumes that the termites' powers are just from his gloves. They're like uh, you know, like a piece of tech, just like his Iron Man costume. But yep. the ter uh, termite's actually a mutant. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's like, I got gloves. You be right back. I'm going to get the police. He's like, okay. And then he comes back. He's gone. It's like you idiot. <laughs> well, it's an understandable mistake because Tony uh, or Iron Man usually fights tech-based villains. Right. That's right. just he always goes up against that. So it's nice that they kind of throw 
throw that in there. <laughs> a nice change. The best scene um, in this whole issue is uh, there is a crumbling building, a support beam underground. So to- so Rhodey grabs a Volkswagen and pushes it underground to support the building to so that it won't fall down. Yeah, that's hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing I noticed too, uh, if you look at the termite's helmet, um, that can't be a coincidence. Like that is the Ant-Man helmet, just with like the mouth covered up a little bit more. Right. Yeah, it totally is. But and they they never mention it. Um, Hank Pym actually shows up later in this volume, which we'll we'll talk about later. But I don't know. He he had to have gotten this like secondhand from like Villains or Us or something or one of those <laughs> power broker types, you know, having an, like an auction for old armor and you know he did a create your own supervillain costume deal or something like that. But yeah, like it is the exact same thing as the Ant Man. Well, and especially because it has the antenna, and I know they want to make him look like a termite, but it's not <laughs> like he controls termites or anything like that. Yeah, they are completely yeah, exactly. superfluous. <laughs> One thing I like about his powers, too, is that um, he actually kind of uses them for, like, a hobby. Like, he's he's an artist on the side. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. As, as somebody who dabbles in art myself like i think that's kind of cool because that's probably like what i would do like he makes statues and stuff like with his powers so it's like oh he's not that bad (laughs) (laughs) that's gotta be yeah it's an interesting uh character piece we don't usually get that on just (laughs) one-off villains right right exactly up next iron man number 190 losing the touch and uh this is part two of our battle with the termite here and uh, Rhodey is just completely out of control right now. Um, he kind of reminds me of like, if you ever read uh, the Silver Age Fantastic Four, you remember how Ben Grimm would like completely overreact, like if somebody said like the slightest thing that made him angry. <laughs> yeah. Like, Ben, do you mind moving? I need to sit down on the couch. Well, it's your fault that I can't sit on couches. And he tears like the entire building down or something. <laughs> right. Like, <come> on, <laughs> it's like, he's kind of in that mindset here. Um, so they actually, you know, they, they take care of their uh, their termite situation. Um, the Scarlet Witch from the West Coast Avengers actually helps out here. Uh, they have the neutralizer from uh, from the X-Men actually forge the same device that uh, was used to uh, depower Storm that uh, Forge invented. So I, I like that, that they don't invent new technology when there's already something in the Marvel Universe that does that. So it kind of right. just, yeah, you know, it adds to the the interconnectedness of of all this stuff and makes you feel like you're reading like a real, you know, living, breathing, shared universe. Well, I guess so that's I, why I, Scarlet Witch is the one that delivers it because she's a mutant also. So she keeps tabs of what's going on with the X-Men. Yeah, so Scarlet Witch is involved with uh, depowering mutants here. Hmm, hmm foreshadow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, because uh, like when I mentioned Ben Grimm, uh, you know, raging Ben Grimmo to like Tony um, or not Tony R- Rhodes in the armor actually hits Tony Stark, who's wearing, you know, just his casual clothing. And like that could like like that could legitimately kill somebody like, you know, him swatting him aside like a fly like that. So yeah. that's that's like a little. Yeah, it's kind of overboard. On page 387 or sorry, on page 378, we get a uh, uh, a scene with Stain. Uh, who's the one who's behind the the termites um, sabotage? 
um, and there's a woman standing behind him in shadow. And uh, this yep. is the first time we get to see her. She pops up a couple more times, and we never see her face. We don't know who she is. Uh, do you know who she is? I do. Um, okay. Should we wait till yeah? Let's next wait till volume? next volume. I don't know who she is, so don't tell me. <laughs> okay. Might be a couple years, but yeah, we'll wait. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The next issue is one ninety one, the Iron Destiny, and we see the return of Vibro, which is kind of cool because I like Vibro. Um, he the the police for some reason decide that they need to bring him back to California to to uh, I don't know if it's for a trial or whatever, but of course because now that he's close to the San Andreas Vault, he, uh, sorry, um, now that he's close again to the San Andreas Vault, he, he gets his powers back and makes an easy escape. Um, so Rhodey finds out and has to go after him. Um, but Rhodey's attitude has become so bad and so erratic that Tony's afraid he's going to put people in danger because they start fighting at like an air show in the middle of a crowded place with no regard at all for any of the people that are around. So Tony feels he needs to step in. Yeah. Rhodes is, he's completely reckless in this issue. He's, um, we started off and he's just like destroying trees for no reason, like around the Circuits Maximus uh, building. And when they kind of confront him about it, he's like, oh, well, uh, you know, if we expand operations uh, or, you know, we'll, these need to be out of the way, you know, they're, they're blocking the solar panels. It's like they're not blocking the solar panels like they get, <laughs> that's not how solar panels work. And then that kind of makes roads feel even stupider. And he's like, oh, well, whatever, whatever. I'm out of here. Yeah. Yeah, so now he's like, he was in Ben Grimm mode before, and now he's like full on, like, Incredible Hulk, like, break everything and, you know, go rampaging into crowds modes. And yeah, it, to me, like, it, it really seems like they're, they're trying so hard to make me not like this character after building him up so much. And it's, I don't know, I, I, I thought it was a little bit jarring. Hmm. Well, I thought the opposite. I made a comment about um, O'Neill's great pacing, and I thought that this was part of it. Um, each issue is just a little bit, a little bit more extreme, a little bit more erratic. And I thought it, I thought they did it well, but it's interesting to hear uh, that you didn't feel that way. Yeah, there's, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just like there's, there's kind of, I might not even be wording it like correctly, but there's just like some, there's like a weird subtext to all of this where it's like there. I feel like they're going out of their way to show you that he was not worthy. He never was worthy. And like, you know, anything that they, they, he didn't really get like enough time, like to show that he was a good iron man and like, it's already being taken away from him. And, and, and I get that, like, because Tony's back now, like you, you have to get to that eventually. I just, I don't know. And because he, I mean, he does, you know, spoiler alert, he does become war machine, uh, much later on. And, uh, kind of surprised that they were able to to rehab his character after this because he really does come across as like not only like like petulant but like like very dangerous too i think we'll see that reform come in the in the next volume yeah you know i went to insert a couple more clips in here we've just been carried away so i'm going to put a clip in here about uh denny o'neill talking about brody uh okay yeah so i'll put that in here I don't know that we had 
an approach. We had the idea to give uh, Tony a, a very close associate. We had the idea to make him black. And then we kind of let the, the plot dictate where he went. I mean, we knew he had to be a good guy, uh, and that had nothing to do with the black thing. It was just, if he's going to be your main hero, he has to behave like a hero. If that's not an ironclad rule, it's right next door to an ironclad rule. And uh, I think that Mark probably approached him really in terms of plot rather than in characterization, uh, which is not a bad way to work all the time if you can, if you have that luxury. Uh, in the last issue and in this issue, we have some new inkers. Luke McDonald's being inked by a team, um, Aiken and Garvey. And I really like these guys. They um, Steve Mitchell was pretty good, but the uh, these two inkers, I think, really ground McDonald's art like really, really well. They they render all of his his uh, his people and his backgrounds, and I really like the shine they put on Iron Man's armor. Uh, I think they do a really good job. Would you agree that it's uh, it's it's definitely much more uh, much more polished? than oh, it yes. was before looks more finished yep. yeah I, I think so too yeah and it may be just the fact that it's two of them working on it instead of one person who has to do an issue a month but yeah it's way way more polished for sure it makes definitely it makes luke's art uh look even better so up next we have uh iron man number 192 duel of iron and this uh this actually is our cover uh, they selected the cover from this issue for the cover of this epic collection. It's a good cover, and it's great cover. Yeah, we have um the the red and ye- red and yellow Iron Man is uh is Jim Rhodes, and he's fighting uh Tony in the old silver armor. Tony made like a mock up of the original armor because he's kind of limited with the tools that he has right now, and you know he doesn't have access to the full Stark Enterprises industry or inventory anymore. So uh, hey, you know he built this thing in a cave or whatever. So he can he can definitely build it now with with some tools, and uh, he uses it to kind of go after Rhodey and take care of his uh, his rampaging recklessness. So uh, what do you think about this uh, Clash of the Titans here? This was great. I really like this issue. I uh, there's also Vibro. I just love the way that Tony takes care of Vibro by using his repulsor beams to push him up in the air far enough like into the atmosphere uh, or out of the atmosphere so that uh, he's far enough away um, yeah. from the fault to, so he doesn't have any powers that was a pretty funny move um, but yeah it's nice to see Tony back in the armor again and uh, I thought that they picked this cover um, because of its uh, because it looks like a fight that you'd see in Iron Man the movie yeah with Stain. I thought Stain was in the armor. I thought that's what the direction of this book was going, but that doesn't happen till the next volume. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's definitely um something too like if you if you were 10 years old or whatever and you saw this on the rack, you'd totally you'd, you'd pick yeah. two Iron Mans. Awesome. Definitely. You got my 60 cents. Or even uh, <laughs> 60 cents, oh man. And uh, Yeah, by the 
comics were uh, were sixty cents during uh, the duration of this epic collection. So my my have times changed. Yes, I like that Tony wants to talk first rather than just resorting to punching. Um, but Brody doesn't want to have anything to do with that. And, yeah, Brody uh, also kind of he makes some some more snide comments about the alcoholism too because. They're in California, so of course there's wineries every block, and their battle ends up in a winery. So oh, yeah. he just goes he goes off on poor Tony for that. Well, and, and Tony tries to keep it together as well because the just the smell of being in the winery is so intoxicating oh, to him. Yeah. Um, at one point, Tony grabs one of the little cylinder discs that's on Iron Man's hip. And he calls it a power pod. It's a power supply. And I never knew what those little circle things were until just now. Yeah. Yeah. I think they've, they've mentioned that like in some issues, like, like over the years, but uh, yeah, it's, it's not something that's, that's, that's mentioned very often. So it's, it's cool to see that brought up here. I also like that uh, Tony knows the limits of, of um, his armor so well that even though he's in a primitive armor, he can still take on uh Rhodey and be successful. Yeah, and it's good good example of brains brains over brawn here. Tony's Tony's, you know, one of the smartest people in the Marvel universe. And Rhodey's uh, you know, he's not of the right mind right now. So, you know, they kinda they kinda take yeah. care of each other. Well they play out that that concept, that contrast like really yeah. well. Tony's thoughts are collected and he's calm through the fight he knows what to do and Rhodey um, you don't really get any thought bubbles from Rhodey because he really isn't thinking through this this fight he's just reacting right but they do patch things up at the end and uh, you know this is it seems like they're gonna you know finally have that heart to heart conversation and this is something that you know is, is probably long long overdue for for these characters yeah I really like the last panel where they're shaking hands that's what made me notice the inker. It's like, wow, this is not Steve Mitchell inking. I have to go back and look to see who it was. It's yeah, just really nicely yeah. rendered. Yeah, one one thing too that um I don't know if we mentioned, but uh, Cly is uh, she's actually developing uh, romantic feelings for Tony, so that kind of adds to Jim Rhodes' jealousy too. Oh yeah. Um, not not that he had romantic feelings for her, but just that he's he's jealous that Tony kind of you know, always gets all this attention and everybody right. loves him. But despite the fact that he's a worthless drunk, blah, 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 he just <laughs> gets all these chances. And, you know, what about me? Yeah. But now that that's in the past, you know, hopefully these two can, you know, get get their issues all all figured out and, you know, get, get, back, to, uh, get back to being best buddies again. Okay, we are running short on time here, so why don't we tackle the next two issues together since they are uh, it's kind of a two-part story. Yep. Um, actually, it's not really a two-part story, but um, we'll just we'll tackle them together anyway just so that we can keep... I want to keep this under two hours. Um, okay. So issue number 193 is called The Choice and the Challenge, and 194 is called Otherware. And uh, in this one... Rhodey leaves to find a cure for his headaches. He goes to see Hank Pym. And um, and Iron Man says, you know, I'll cover for you with the West Coast Avengers. I'll let him know that you need a leave of absence. So he visits 
the West Coast Avengers in his Iron Man outfit. And here's a pivotal moment where he needs to... They think he's a villain, so he needs Hawkeye and Mockingbird to trust him. He takes off his mask and reveals his secret identity. Um, this is the moment here that uh, that people start to know that Tony Stark and Iron Man are the same. So, pretty big moment. Um, and then Hawkeye gets a distress call from Tigra, and they Tony has to really wrestle with the fact that they need his help, but he doesn't really want to help. So it's a it's a good character issue for Tony as he wrestles with what it means to be in the position that he's in right now. Um, meanwhile, um, Rhodey goes to see Pym, and Pym is experimenting with a um, a portal that will lead to another dimension, and a guy happens to bust in to to force Hank to uh, do some stuff for him, shrink him a little bit so he can get away from the cops. But they all get sucked into the portal and they have a little adventure in this place called Otherware. Um, and you get some really cool like Steve Ditko type moments in that world. Um, and eventually they make it out and Hank Pym does not have any solution for Rhodey's headaches. Yeah, I like that um, th- this uh, hitman or crook or whoever he is that uh that breaks into hank's lab he yep. wants to be shrunken so that he can avoid the cops but not too <laughs> much so, so that, ch- that the chicks won't dig him anymore <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and this guy actually disappears he he goes back into the dimension instead of risking being caught by the police and he's never heard from again yeah like, how did this guy not become an ant-man villain i know it's <laughs> so funny yeah that was a that was a surprise moment there yeah, and the reason why Tigra is uh, lost at sea is because uh, Doctor Demonicus, um, he's a uh, villain from an old uh, an old licensed Marvel series. Uh, he's got this giant kaiju monster uh, that's on the rampage, and a uh, unnamed giant kaiju monster kind of knocks Tigra out of the sky, and he's just uh, wreaking havoc. And um, the reason why I'm calling him unnamed giant kaiju monster is because he's not named in this issue at all. Um, do you know who this is, Curtis? Is it supposed to be Godzilla? It is. <laughs> um, it was, it was <laughs> yeah. actually. It, it's actually confirmed as being Godzilla. Oh um, yeah. Much later in, in like a handbook or something. Yeah, but this is odd because Marvel, um, Marvel had like a lot of licensed properties in yeah. the late seventies, early eighties, and they were actually integrated into the Marvel universe. But uh, once these licenses expire, like they can't use the characters anymore, and. Um, just the fact that he's actually used instead of just being forgotten about is really kind of, uh, they don't really do that that much. Like there's really no point for them to be using Godzilla anymore. Like, you know, risking, uh, copyright lawsuits or, or anything like that. But, you know, they never name him. He's drawn like completely different. Cause I guess he's been like further mutated. Right. And, uh, I don't know. It's Iron Man versus Godzilla. for two. So I mean, come- <laughs> duck is uh Shogun warriors. That's one of the licensed properties. Yes, and he actually um, he appeared in that, and then he actually first appeared in the in the uh, the Marvel Godzilla series. But he's an original Marvel creation, which is why he can continue on, but Godzilla can't. Yep. Yeah, and he does yeah. continue on for a while. He's never like a huge villain, but he you know, he he pops up a lot here and there. He's still around. And his story gets stalled here. Uh, we don't get to find out the end of of his story in this Iron Man issue. That'll uh, happen in the next volume. Yep. And then uh, real quick, too, before we wrap up this one, uh, we see the very first uh, appearance of the Scourge of the Underworld. 
Where, oh yeah, uh, I was going to mention that too. Yeah, this is uh, th- this is pretty big, and uh, both we can talk about this, you know, much more whenever you do the uh, the Captain America Scourge episode. But this is the first appearance, and he basically uh, he shoots somebody that um, that Obadiah Stane was sending to uh, to take care of the termite for his failure, I believe. Yeah, and uh, he just he's disguised as a bum, comes up, shoots him, kills him, and says justice is served. And uh, we have yeah. no idea what's going on, and this actually happens a lot in all sorts of Marvel comics over the next few months. So it kind of adds a cool little uh, shared universe storyline to uh, these issues. If you were listening to the X Factor episode that I did a couple months ago, um, there is another uh, Scorch kills another villain in the Avengers issue that's collected at the beginning of that X Factor volume. And yeah, yeah, he made his, uh, made his way around. He did. And I think, I can't remember, I think we were talking about in Spider-Man, I think in the Ghost of the Past issue, or book, Ghosts of the Past, in that episode we had a uh, Scourge killing a villain in that one as well. Um, but none of those, there it was, it was just completely random. And that story is never resolved in any of those books. It's resolved in Captain America. So it, right. it's a very strange thing to do uh, cro- cross continuity like that without any sort of context or any resolution. And it's solved in a Captain America because uh, the whole Scorch thing was a baby of uh, Mark Grunwald, who was writing Captain America at the time. Right. And uh, yeah, by the way, the, the villain here that he kills is called the Enforcer. And if you're struggling to remember who that is, um, that was kind of the point of Scorch, is that, is that Marvel had so many like forgettable villains running around, so they had to uh, kind of do some cleanup, which, I don't know, I like forgettable villains, so it's you, you can get away with that like in, in small doses, but I would never want to see them just you know get rid of everybody. But th- th- this was a neat little, little storyline that kind of, a nice mystery to keep you occupied for a couple of years. Well, let's move on to the last issue. Okay, so... Um, the last one we have here is Iron Man number 195, The Thing Most Precious. And this is guest starring Shaman of Alpha Flight. And the reason why Shaman is here is because uh, Rhodey gets sent to uh, Shaman to get his headaches looked at because um, Hank Pym couldn't solve his problems. And Shaman, in addition to being a shaman, is also a doctor. So he's also, in addition to being a doctor, he's also a stereotype. So because he's Native American, of course, he knows everything about like mysticism and vision quest, <laughs> things like that. Right. So we go on like a vision quest to find out the secret of Rhodey's headaches and we get some cool, you know, Steve Ditko dimensions again. And we find out the reason why Rhodes is having these headaches, even after Tony fixed the, the helmet, is that they were basically... Um, it's like a psychosomatic thing. He's inducing them on himself because he feels guilty about not earning the Iron Man armor. And ugh, I don't, I don't know what I, if I like that too much. What did you think about that, Curtis? I thought that there was kind of a, it, yeah, it was kind of a cheap move. It's like I was expecting there to be some sort of more, um, I don't know, real reason behind it, but. Yeah, it's like, no, he was doing it. His body was purposely kind of sabotaging itself um, to get attention, to get Rhodey to and, think about himself. Yeah, and it also, the, the the big problem I have with it is that, okay, if it was 
if it was some technology that was, you know, interacting with his brain functions the wrong way, then okay, at, le- at least there's an excuse for why he's acting like a psychopath, like in some of these issues. But then to learn that, like, oh no, he just uh, he wasn't good enough to be Iron Man, so he was placing these limits on himself. I think that's kind of it's going too far in the other direction for me. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't the uh, wasn't the best moment for sure. But it it was nice to get this issue out of the way though, because now we can now Rhodey has amended his uh, I'm sorry. Uh Rhodey has made amends with Tony and Rhodey has looked kind of uh soul searched and looked inside himself for uh for a little bit of help as well. So um now he can move forward and either be a better Iron Man or relinquish Iron Man. And we we won't know which that will be until the next volume. Yep. And as of the time of this recording, that next volume has not been announced as of yet. Um, I believe the next Iron Man volume is going to be some later, uh, late, late 80s stuff. But um, yeah, we end this with uh, all the toys kind of put back in the box, so to speak. Um, it's a good ending point. So, you know, Rhodey's kind of cured and Tony's not Iron Man yet, but he seems to be on solid ground once again. Yep. And uh, yeah, I don't know. What what did you uh what did you think of this kind of volume as a whole? As a whole, I think I didn't like it as much as I liked the previous volume. Um, Same here. I think I like that one a lot better, but this one certainly had some great moments. It had um it had a few clunker issues, but uh overall I I enjoyed it. I, um, the like I said, a lot of stuff happens because not only are we dealing with like Tony on the streets, but we're dealing with um, all of this like slow progression with Rhodey building up their new company and all of the new villains. Like, there's a lot that happens here. Um, so it's it's a it's a fun read, and I think in conjunction with the last volume and then also the one that comes next, we have it's just a solid. Um, a nice solid run from O'Neill with a few issues here and there that need a little bit of help. But Speaking about uh, a solid run, this is actually Luke McDonald's uh, last issue right. of Iron Man. Yeah. So um, I did not think that his artwork was uh, consistent through this. I know we mentioned there was a change in anchors, but uh, the, the middle part kind of, uh, it really kind of dropped in quality for me. Like I mentioned like how static a lot of the covers were, but I, a lot of the like just the poses and things like that within the issue. Um, they were a bit too static for my taste too, but he definitely improved towards the end. So he kind of, you know, he goes out with a bang and, uh, and yeah, it's, um, it's a nice companion piece to that first volume. Um, so we've got, you know, two consecutive Iron Man uh, volumes, you know, in the can right now, and hopefully we'll get that other one soon. Yeah, I hope so. And as far as, as far as extras and stuff, I noticed that um, most of the epic collections include like a lot of stuff here. Um, this really didn't have much of anything. It was just like a couple Marvel Age, uh, not even articles, just like page covers from Marvel Age and um, just a couple of little excerpts. And I guess there probably really isn't much else that you could include here. But I uh, just thought that was worth mentioning because usually they load these with a lot of stuff. Yeah, usually there's like um, original art or something or even covers like the last volume didn't have much either, um, but it did have some original art and it did have uh, um, a cover from an, another collection. Um, but yeah, there's not much, but that's okay. I mean, the 
the bonus stuff is nice, but at least what I'm happy with is that we got um, the meat of the story. Um, this is stuff that is, you know, hasn't been collected before. Did the essentials make it up to this far in, in the Iron Man? Iron Man. Oh Iron? no, they um, I think they kind of barely cracked into like the 100s. So they, yeah, they were they were a long way from this stuff. Then yeah, I mean it's uh the first time we've seen this stuff in print in a long time, so it's good to have it. Yeah, my um, I guess like as far as uh recommendations, um, I would definitely recommend reading the the previous volume first because you know it's uh, you get a lot more context and it kind of it just it reads good you know back to back because you see Tony's entire rise and fall and rise again kind of character arc. Right, but if you're listening, if you've made it this far into this episode you probably have already read this volume. So <laughs> saying you should read the other yeah. volume first, either they've already done that or it's too late. Yeah, we hope so. <laughs> I mean, if, if you haven't, then what's wrong with you? Go read that other volume. <laughs> yeah, but but you know, that's the nice thing about the Epic Collections is that they're not branding it in, in a way that you can you need to read it in order. Yes, yeah, um, you're right. This one, the, the place where it starts, they start in the middle of the story, but it's still an okay place to start. And it, you pick up what's going on really quick and you know that was jim shooter's way of 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 uh make of doing comics then as well you know everybody's comic is a first issue or every comic is someone's first issue is something that he'd say so you could just start with that issue and, and keep on going and pick it up pretty easy yep and that's uh that that's i always agreed with that that uh that logic i i think that's true and i kind of wish they they still did that me too well what are we going to talk about the next time you're on the show james uh we are going to do a complete 180 and we're going <laughs> to talk about volume one of x-force oh, from man. 1991 under the gun holy cow so ooh, yeah um I, I don't know where we're going to be going with this one but uh it's it's going to be different i i'm looking forward to it now um x-force has it's kind of infamous for being very extreme mid 90s especially with rob liefeld and stuff so i've only yeah. read the odd issue or two um so i'll be interested to see how it plays out as a whole i'll put on my 90s glasses <laughs> and uh and enjoy it for what it is and you know what it was popular uh yeah for a reason so i mean we can we can shoot fish in a in a barrel all we want, but we're gonna kind of try to look at this with fresh eyes and maybe so. look at look at why it was so popular. And hey, this was probably Curtis. You were probably breaking into comics like in or around that time too. So we were kind of right there for this stuff as it was happening. Yeah, I um, I had a few of the early X Force issues, not knowing what what they were. I remember I can't remember which issue it is. One one of I the early ones with Deadpool. I think my grandma <laughs> yeah. might have that issue because they printed what like 17 million copies yeah, of it. Yeah, she might have uh, <laughs> a couple of them still in their original sealed bags with the trading card. Oh yeah, yeah, she definitely yeah, she was she was a speculator. Yeah. She was one of the reasons why the park crashed or whatever. She was going to use those Shatterstar cards to pay for my college education. <laughs> awesome. That didn't work out. Oh boy. Well, let's wrap it up. Thanks for joining me on the show again, James. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Bye.